Is there any way I can raise this up a little bit? I'm going to fight it. I think so here. Here we go. All right. Praise the Lord. And, uh, oh, I'm excited. I got some good things uh, I trust to share with you today. Um, I want to talk about God's covenant. We're talking about the finished work of the cross, what's been finished, you know, or how finished is it? And I think that there's different angles. Obviously, we've delved into it this week, all the speakers. There's different ways, different angles to look at uh, how finished it is. And then uh, we've, we've visited the questions of, you know, why God has done certain things. That's been a blessing. Brother Kurt has shared on that so much. And then we're talking about all the things that are finished. What is finished? Uh, and, uh, I mean, we can, we can just blanket, you know, on a blanket coverage say, well, everything that needed to be done for our redemption is finished. But that's what we're looking into because it speaks to our lives and really helps us see. So, um, while we generally believe, I think a lot of us generally believe all this, uh, it's good to not just leave it there and just dig, dig deeper. As Brother Hagin used to say, let's look under every rock. Turn over every stump, dig down a little bit below the surface and see what's there. Usually you'll find a great blessing. Amen. To encourage your faith. Um, So we're going to read Romans 8, 31 through 39. I want to I do want to talk about our inheritance. Our inheritance from God is this covenant. Amen. God has always been a God of blessing. And he's wanted to bless his children. And and he wants to bless humanity. It's the reason that he sent Jesus. Because there was a hindrance to him being able to bless. If he'd poured out, you know, one person said if he'd poured out his his power and glory and tried to fill human beings that were not yet redeemed, he would have just destroyed them. You know, and uh, so thank God for the fact that we have been redeemed. Amen. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We need to declare we've been redeemed from the curse of the law itself. And um, and then and then, you know, uh, Galatians 314 says that the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles, those who previously did not have a covenant. Now, because of Jesus, everybody can have the covenant. Amen. Who believes on him? Praise the Lord. Now, I don't really, uh, I don't really know how anybody that's got a full Bible can make the mistake over into some version of universalism or inclusionism or whatever. I don't know how if you have a Bible, unless you also own an exacto knife that you're real itching to use and take scriptures out. Because even Second Corinthians 5.19 says that, uh, you know, while, while, while it says that the whole world is reconciled because of what Jesus did. In other words, God has provided the reconciliation. 
But then if you keep reading, you can't just stop in the middle of a, of a passage and say you have truth. You have to keep reading. Yeah. And it's, and it says on, uh, we are Christ's ambassadors and we beseech you on God's behalf to be reconciled to God. So there's something that the individual has to do to make the reconciliation real for them. Praise the Lord. So the whole world is not saved and they just don't know it yet. That is a lie. And uh, it's, it's, it's a dangerous one. And it really kind of makes a mockery then of the sacrifice of Jesus. And it really makes a mockery of missionaries and martyrs. You know, there's people that, that's been martyred for the cause of Christ. Absolutely. Why would Peter on the day of Pentecost risk? I mean, these are some folks that will nail you to the cross over some stuff. And he saw it. And why would he risk standing in Jerusalem to some of the same folks that were consenting to Jesus' death? Why would he stand there and and risk saying, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified? That's some bold talk there. And uh, instead, he should have exempted them, especially that group. I won't get into that, but he should have really exempted them. Said, well, y'all have got Abraham's original thing, so that's enough. And we won't mess with you. We don't want to upset the apple cart here. But instead, because uh, that particular group, when they got in, in that day, when they got upset, boy, you know, it could be bad for you. Ask Jesus how that turned out. Was it something I said? You know. <laughs> and... uh and so, and others, uh, and then Christians, that was the beginning of the days when the Christians were being arrested and dragged to Rome and, and fed to, to, to lions, you know, for their faith. So it was really something to say that. So, so if they were all saved and they just didn't know it yet, I think let's just not rattle the cage much. So then you have, I didn't mean to get into all this, but I thought it's interesting. It's just, we just want to identify who we really are. Amen. And, uh, and, and so you can't, you can't draw these conclusions that just because someone is emphasizing a strong finished work message or a strong grace or righteousness message that they're automatically, well, that means that they're universalist or they're inclusionist or whatever. That's, that's mean. It's short-sighted. It's not true. Praise the Lord. And so we're, you know, I like to say this. I'm not, some people say, well, you're with that faith group. You're a faith preacher. And I said, no, I'm not a faith preacher. I'm not a grace preacher. I don't like those labels. I'm a gospel minister of the gospel. Amen. And the gospel has a strong message of the finished work of the, of the cross. That's the foundation of our faith. Without Jesus and his shed blood and what he did, we don't have a gospel. Amen. So I hope this helps you to understand. And, you know, we're not just speaking today to who's here. We're speaking to the world, in a sense, uh, through the Internet here today. So, you know, sometimes we say a few things uh, for uh, other purposes. Amen. Just to identify what our message really is. Praise God. There's all, Jesus said, well, you could just preach a whole message on what Jesus said about it. Jesus said, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through me. Amen. I'm sorry 
If you're going to get to God and you're going to get to the kingdom of God, you got to go. Dennis Burke said it so clear last night. Jesus is the door. Amen. I am the way, he said, the truth and the life. So without Jesus, I don't know what you've got another religion going. I don't know what you got. Let us know how that works out for you. All right. Now, <laughs> Romans 8, 31 through 39. And I want to read it, if you don't mind, from the Message Bible. I know, I know, I know there's a risk there because it's really, it's really a more of a paraphrase. But I like the way that some of the language is on it. And as long as the language of the paraphrase lines up with the true word, then we're in good shape. Amen. Romans 8, 31 through 39 on the Message Bible. And we're talking about nothing between us and Jesus. Nothing between us. Nothing that is 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 uh, a barrier. He says, so what do you think? I love that. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, how many believe he did that? He put everything on the line. Embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst. Now, the reason he's saying that, that God exposed him, well, Jesus did. No, God did because 2 Corinthians 5, 19 from the Amplified said it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling the world. So God exposed himself to sin. God exposed himself to judgment in that sense by his own word, exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly for us? Is there anything else? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Don't you love that? I do. Do you, in other words, Jesus is our intercessor. What, what does he, what is he interceding? What is he calling out? He is, he is ever, he is ever talking about the value of his blood, the value of his sacrifice. Amen. The sacrifice greater than our sin, greater than our failures. Amen. Um, do you think Anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us. There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. And look at this, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. Even the worst sins lifted in Scripture do not separate us from the love of God. In other words, even that does not cause God to turn his back on us and say, well, I can't love you anymore. Praise the Lord. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. This is uh, Paul talking. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. 
None of this phases us. This is some big talk here. Because people were dying for their faith at this point. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing, everybody say nothing. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Praise God. Well, I don't know if that does anything for you, but I'm so glad that's in the Bible. Amen? And that would be worth, though all those verses are worth studying out on your own and uh, looking at other translations. And if you're some sort of a Greek whiz, Praise the Lord. I made the mistake of preaching in Tarpon Springs and I tried to, I thought, I never do this. I'll venture out and use a Greek word here in Tarpon Springs, Florida. And uh, that was a mistake because the Greek word, I said the Greek word for this. And, you know, I I went on to say it. And a 90 year old Greek woman yelled out from the crowd. That's not what that means. That's the wrong word. And she was right. Actually, it's, you know, she, I said, okay, I'll, I, that's it. I retire from Greek scholar. I'll let other people do that. I'll just read the message Bible. That's about my speed. <laughs> that's as deep as I can get. Right there, I, I just, the reason that I wanted you to see that verse, and you're thinking, well, you're talking about covenant inheritance. What does that verse have to do with it? Well, I wanted you to see that, first of all, your salvation and the, the covenant that God has given us is secure by the blood of Jesus. Yes. Amen. And you don't have to worry that the bill didn't get paid and the lights are going to get turned off. Yes. Amen. That's my point. Now, uh, there's an old hymn, and I want to read, I'm not going to read all the verses because there's like 19 of them, it seems like. But uh, there's an old hymn here. Um, from the 1700s that talk about our foundation. Again, how finished is it? And remember when we were talking the other day about the word rest, I'm sort of obsessed with rest from the sense of it being a confidence. We need to have a confidence. I, I think it's probably my fault, not, not anybody else's, but I think I had a real lack of confidence in my Status with God growing up as a kid. Anybody else, you know, maybe wonder, you know, you never were, are you, you know, the altar calls could be, are you saved? Are you sure? Are you really sure? Well, if you had a doubt, I could come up with a doubt every service. I mean, I had a place reserved, man, at the altar. I was using up the church's budget for Kleenex. You know, they, we had them. And so, you, you know, that what that eventually does is erodes your faith. It erodes your confidence in God. You need to have an assurity. Amen. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine whose parents were full gospel Pentecostal pastors. And, and this, this man's mother began to die. Bless her heart. She had a really bad 
cancer situation and finally began to, you know, there was no hope left. And, and uh, it seemed that she was just going to gonna die. And, uh, and because she had said, well, I'm just going to go on to glory. I'm just going to go on to heaven. Just, I'm tired of fighting this, you know. I'm just going to go. Well, then she didn't go and didn't go and didn't go. And she kept saying she's ready to go. So the son of this this woman, he said, Mom, what's the problem? You know, I mean, you know, there's just, you know, Jesus is there and the angels and everybody. And why don't you just go on and be with Jesus and just get out of this situation in that sense? And she said, I'm not sure that I've repented enough of everything. I'm, I'm trying to think of any sins that I missed. See, see, this is the this is the dark side of that heavy you know, confession of sin, repentance thing, it can get in the ditch to where you're, you're just sin conscious. See, here she should have been Jesus conscious and heaven conscious, right? Served God her whole life, minister's wife and all that. And, uh, she says, I've gone all the way back to the day I was saved and, and, and scoured in my mind and trying to think of, is there anybody I offended? Is there now listen, there's word of faith people that go through this trying to just get a healing. Is there anybody I've offended that's keeping my healing from coming? Where did I open the door? Now I need to shut it, see. Well, see, that stuff will drive you crazy. Eat up any confidence that you've had. Praise the Lord. Well, at any rate, uh You know, this young man that had a little better foundation. We're talking about our foundation today. I'm really talking about having confidence in in, in what Jesus did. Is there any value to it? Or is it just all on us? See. And so, is this helping you? So he says uh, to his mother, he says, Mom, it's all taken care of by Jesus. You're a believer. You're... You've called on the name of the Lord for salvation. Jesus is your Lord. You're a daughter of God. You know, just go on to heaven. This is ridiculous. Because she wasn't getting her healing. Just, you ever seen somebody just in the limbo? Limbo sickness. Boy, that's a bad place to be. You either want to get healed or go on. But just, just laying here suffering is not, you know, that isn't helping anybody. And she said, well, he says, what's the problem? She says, I'm just not sure that... I've repented of everything and I want to make sure I'm afraid to die. Isn't that something? Afraid to die because of a lack of confidence in, in salvation. That's, this is, this is the, the bad side of some of that. And so, uh, he prayed, you know, he said, Lord, speak to my mother. Show her some way that she can face you. I preached that the other night about faith. No dread. Remember the scripture said we should have such a confidence in what Jesus has done that there's no dread or fear of meeting him. That's right. Amen. That's right. Folks, when we get ready to leave this planet, we ought to be leaving shouting. Yes. Praise God. Yes. Like that old song, oh, I want to see him. Yes. Look up on his face. I'm, I'm ready to see you, Jesus. Praise God. It should be some expectation, yes. a hope. In our heart, praise God, that it's going to be great. Not, oh man, I got to talk to him and I think I went through everything and 
See, there's this side that people don't consider. And so this is a great story. So he, he, it ends very well because one day, the next morning, this is two weeks of her trying to get out of here and just deteriorating. And he went to her one morning and she had a smile on her face. All the angst was gone. And she said, son, I'm going home today. I'm going to see Jesus. He said, what happened? She said, I had a vision last night. Jesus appeared to me and he said, I wish you'd stop repenting. He said, I'm ready for you. It's up to you if you want to come. Come on, we got it ready. Everything's ready. And she, it was just a few hours and she slipped out peacefully. Can you imagine though, the two weeks of torment laying there, trying to remember every sin, trying to remember every mistake. Well, see, we need to have more confidence than that. That's all I'm saying. Amen. Well, praise God, we've got a foundation in Jesus we can depend on. We can say boldly, I'm redeemed. I've been set free from separation from God. What shall separate us from the love of God? See, well... People do come up with lists, but I think that that list is pretty good. Now, here's some words from a, an old hymn, uh, like I said, 1700s, certainly not a new message. You can sometimes tell, now songwriting is interesting, isn't it? Because if you look at hymns all the way back to the beginning, some of them are really old, really ancient, well, older than this, obviously. There's a lot of hymns of the church that are written in the 1500s. I mean, right during the Reformation. But uh, if you look at, if you took just a bunch of song lyrics, say from 1500 forward, and begin to read them, uh, you can see when there were periods of the church where a strong righteousness and grace message was preached because of the lyrics, because the songwriters are sitting in the services. And so they're writing by what they're being preached. And so uh, what they're hearing preached, isn't that something? So this certainly isn't new. And uh, I, I, I just, this one's been rolling around in my heart this week. It's how firm a foundation. And so the words of, I looked up the lyrics and I copied it here. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. How many is a saint today? Amen. Some people say, well, we got some saints and we got some ain'ts. We don't want to be an ain't, do we? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid. The foundation's laid. See, we're talking rest, and I use this illustration, and it just keeps coming to me. Uh, rest does not mean just being lazy or not, uh, uh, as Dennis said last night, our due is in the done. <laughs> Amen. Our due is from the done. Uh, uh, it's done. Jesus paid it all. Praise God. And then our doing comes out of that. Hallelujah. We're not trying to add to what's done, but because it's done, now we have authority. Now we have empowerment by the Holy Spirit to do the works of Christ in this earth. Amen. And be these ambassadors. Ambassadors aren't sent, aren't sent just to, you know, sit at the sidewalk cafe and have cappuccinos. They actually go do a work. In that nation. Amen. The ambassador. So we're ambassadors. We're citizens of heaven. 
and we're ambassadors and we're here. The old song, uh, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. But we're more than just passing through, we're doing a work. And we're, and we're, we are the, the voice of God. Amen. Yes. In this earth. Yes. Praise the Lord and proclaimers of this done work. But so rest, you know, I think in some circles rest is equated with, oh good, I found grace. I don't have to do anything. I don't want to do anything. And it's like, well, then you haven't really understood the grace of God. If that's what it leads you to do is to, in other words, if you're doing less for God, under grace than you were under a bunch of rules and regulations, then you don't understand grace yet. Because the real grace of God and the righteousness, uh, understanding righteousness just sets us free to, to do the great things of God. That's, that's my opinion anyway. Yeah, with confidence that, that God's going to back us up. He's not going to say, well, I'm not going to use you to heal the sick because, you know, you had that little incident on the freeway the other day. Where you got mad at the people, you know, whatever. So I'm not going to use you. So now he's holding it. Now the sick person that needs a healing is being held hostage by your failure. Well, that's just crazy. And it's, that would be unjust and unfair. So we have a foundation. And so I, I like that, uh, the idea of that, because like I said, rest is more like a confidence we have a confidence because this building, for example, this, this structure above the ground that you can see is resting on the foundation. If the foundation goes, the whole building will collapse. So thank God for a good foundation. So our, our faith rests on the finished work. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's read these words. Here's the, uh, I'll, I'll just read part of it. Here's the words of this this hymn, ancient hymn. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. (laughs) What more can he say to you than to you hath he said? What more? You who unto Jesus for refuge have fled in every condition... In sickness, in health, in poverty's veil, or abounding in wealth, at home and abroad, on the land and on the sea, as thy days may demand, shall thy strength ever be. Based on what? That foundation. Amen. He says, fear not. (laughs) That's good. Fear not. Amen. Fear not. I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen and help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Amen. Uh, look at, uh, we'll, we'll jump down to the, we'll skip a verse and then this one. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. Anybody been through fiery trials? Well, you know, either either you haven't lived very long, if you haven't, or you're a liar. You know, there's a difference between somebody with a good confession and just a flat liar. We've got a few of those. Uh, not here in Florida, but other states. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all-sufficient grace shall be thy supply. What shall be thy supply? My efforts, my 
my self-holiness, self-righteousness. No, my great, God's grace, all sufficient shall be thy supply. See, some of these old songs, we need to redo them and sing them. Because these are good words, you know. That, that would, if you, if you really sing that out big, that might help you a little bit. Thy flame, the flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Uh, and, and then look at the final verse. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. We're talking rest. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose or rest. I'm going to rest. I'm going to lean all of myself, all my weight, everything on him. I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Wow, that'll preach, won't it? Glory, hallelujah. That's doctrine. That's good doctrine. (laughs) That's good songs. Praise the Lord. Well, that beats a worm song, doesn't it? Now, I just never enjoyed being a worm. All right. Galatians. Galatians 3, 11 through 16, we're going to read here from the Amplified. Now, we're talking about this covenant of blessing from Galatians. You know, uh... That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. And we're going to see, because we're talking about the theme of the conference is finished. And we're going to see that this covenant has been finished. The covenant is not technically, now hang on to your hat here, is not technically between God and you. The covenant is between God and Jesus. Now, what that does for your faith is you realize you can't mess it up. And Paul is telling us we can't mess it up because he said, and we're going to read this in a second, but he's just said, uh, you can't, once the testator has died, you, you can't add to or take away from the will. Legal terms again. All right. So let's read this. Now it is evident, again, Amplified Bible. Now it, now it is evident that no person is justified, declared righteous, and brought into right standing with God through the law. For the scripture says, the man in right standing with God, the just, the righteous, shall, um, shall live by and out of faith And he who through and by faith is declared righteous and in right standing with God shall live. But the law does not rest on faith, does not require faith, has nothing to do with faith. For it itself says, he who does them, the things prescribed by the law, shall live by them, not by faith. Christ purchased our freedom. Redeeming us from the curse or doom of the law and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the scriptures, 
Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree and is crucified. We're going to keep reading here in a moment. I just want to share this about Romans 8.1. Uh, the Bible says there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh, as was added by the Bible translators, the last phrase. But it works if you really understand what he's saying. It's not really a problem. Unless you add a bunch of stuff as to what it means to walk by the Spirit. That's not there, I'm saying. But that word condemnation, I think, has, has, is, is, there's a confusion about it. When he says there is therefore now no condemnation, what we think when we read that word is guilt and shame. There is therefore now no guilt and shame. Well, that should be the case. But when he's saying condemnation, he means there is no more sentence of death. That's right. Because it was already paid for by Jesus. You understand? Jesus was condemned not for his sake. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. There was no sin in his life. But he took our sin and the condemnation that should have been ours. Not, not, God's not, God is not, um, trafficking in guilt and shame. This is not the discussion here when we talk about condemnation. That's some sort of emotional, lower level way of reading the word. And, and people that talk about guilt and shame a lot are missing the point. So we're not talking about the guilt and the shame and dealing with all that. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. But we're talking about real condemnation. I mean a legal sentence like a man on death row is condemned to die on this date if the appeals fail. And there's automatic ones in like 19 of them or whatever in most states. And if the appeals all fail and the, the mass murderer, you know, the, the, the sinner, the convicted is not, you know, something's not acquitted there or repealed, he will die on this date in the electric chair or the lethal injection or hanging or whatever, firing squad if it's military. You understand what I'm saying? Is this helping you? So when we see the word condemnation, when, when Paul is using words like condemnation or if it's translated to acquitted, things like that, we're talking legalese, legal terms here. Praise the Lord. And I think as mature students of the word, and like Dennis said last night, those that will come out on Wednesday night or Thursday morning are obviously seekers of a little deeper truth. We're not just here to shout and hoop and holler. I love shouting hoop and holler services. We've been doing a little of that this week. It's, we got something to shout about, don't we? Our, our, our victory. And I'm free in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Uh, so one lady said about it, that we have that song, you know, I'm free to run, I'm free to dance. And she says, I want to also feel that I'm free not to if I don't want to. I said, I agree with that one. Because, you know, you'll get in a meeting where they'll condemn you for not running, you know. Well, you can tell who's got the victory. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't tell. Some of those shouters are weirdos, you know. I've seen weirdo shouters, you know. Praise the Lord. I mean, we've seen people that, Brother Chip and I have seen people roll off the tabernacle platform onto the altar bench and flatten it down and get up with a bloody nose. I can't believe that was God. But anyway, 
We know the guy that did that too. We know his name, but we won't say it. May he rest in peace. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, nothing against shouting or having the victory or nothing against, I mean, even the most shallow understanding of the word is worth shouting about if it's really truth. Amen. But how many know that there are deeper levels of theology that we, I like what Pastor Steve here said. He said, we need more theology and less anthropology. Is that what you said? Yeah. You need to know more about the word and Jesus. So that word condemnation, I, I just had to stop there and tell you this. That word condemnation is dealing with a legal sentence. There's not, there's therefore now no condemnation. You will not be condemned. It, it connects to John 3.18 that says that he that has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is condemned already. We're not taught, we're not dealing here with guilt and shame. Amen. And I really think it's kind of a travesty and I'm hoping that we can reform ourselves. I think it's kind of a travesty to use guilt and shame on a really emotional human level to, to, to sort of manipulate people into an altar situation. You understand? That's, that's really not healthy for their faith in the long run. It might help them at that moment to, you know, maybe make a choice or a decision. But I really think there's better preaching that we could do about salvation than to try to guilt people into accepting the Lord. Amen? Because we're not dealing with condemnation. We're not dealing with guilt and shame and our emotion. We're talking about legal status. Yes. Is it, can everybody agree on that at least? Amen. And um, like Kenneth Hagin used to say a lot, he said, you know, you can't tell anything by people's reaction at an altar service. One guy might be crying and, uh, and, 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 and carrying on and you don't know what he's going to do after that. Somebody else, uh, receiving the Lord might not have any tears, might not have any outward emotion and just say, yeah, this is a good deal. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Kind of just say it and, you know, and shake the pastor's hand and go sit down and make the finest Christian and believer you've ever seen. And so some people are just flat and more emotional than others. And, and John Lake said, he said, I have found that the deeper I grow in God, the less need I have for outward display of it. Well, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to make rules for worship here. Everybody do what you want. Praise the Lord. If you want to raise your hand, raise them. And if you don't feel comfortable at that moment, you're not helping God any. You know, and we've been rebuked for that stuff. I mean, you know, where, where, uh, you know, you, you gotta make your body worship him. And it's like, oh, okay. you know, please. Praise the Lord. Not ready for prime time. I call when you get that. All right. Uh, where were we? Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, now it says here that, uh, again, Christ Purchased our freedom. Aren't you glad that he did? Redeeming us from the curse or the doom of the law and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. See? 
condemnation again. Not, we're not talking guilt and shame here. We're talking actual a sentence. It is written to in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, is crucified to the end that through their receiving Christ Jesus. See, here's the caveat. There has to be faith extended on the part of the receiver. It's not automatic. To the end that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles so that we through faith might all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit. To speak, now here we go, let's let's have Paul the lawyer, I suppose. To speak in terms of human relations, let me show you this covenant and how you can have assurance of salvation here today. To speak in terms of human relations, brethren, if even a man makes a last will and testament, a merely human covenant, no one sets it aside or makes it void or adds to it when once it has been drawn up and signed, ratified and confirmed. This one's been signed in blood, by the way. Now, the promises... See, no one... You, once, once... The moment Jesus died, that was the end. I mean, that was the deal. The thing was sealed. <laughs> you can't... You, even God himself didn't try to go add something to it. Moses couldn't speak up and go, wait a minute. What's going to happen to my stuff? <laughs> Y'all get anything out of this? No one makes it void or adds to it once it's been drawn up, signed, ratified, and confirmed. You can't, you can't, you, once the, once the, once the person that was leaving the last will and testament has died, that's it. It's over. You ever been to probate court? You really get an understanding of this. When my father died, there was one little piece of business that wasn't fixed, right? And I had to go to probate court, you know, and get an attorney and go to probate court. And he wanted to see, the attorney wanted to see the will. Is there a will? Do you believe, I had to take an oath. Do you believe that this is the last will that was ever signed by your father? Yes, this is the last will. We have scoured. Have you searched his file cabinets to see if there was another one? Yes, sir, we have. Our attorney told us we had to do that. Yes. So to your best, you know, you swear in this court, in Oklahoma court, you swear that this, you know, to the best of your ability to, that you know, this is the last will and testament. Because whatever it says in this will. Well, the, the problem was my dad had a... a had some things, you know, he had this special gun <laughs> uh, that had gone to one of the grandsons, you know. And uh, and he had, actually it was in the will, but my dad had jumped the will and given it to him ahead of his death. So that was a big question. You can't just go on with business. You have to decide, you know, what's going to happen. So he was able to, the judge was able to sign off on it because we had to get a testimony that the gun had in fact already exchanged hands. So I mean, whatever, I'm telling you, it, even, and, and Paul said that here, even in a human will, you can't add to it or take away from it yeah. once it's been signed and once the testator has died. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, don't come to me for your legal needs. I'm not practicing law. 
I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> but it is interesting when you go through something like that, you can it comes to life for you. Helps my faith, praise God. Maybe I'm just in more need of help than anybody. I wouldn't doubt that. Now, it says here, uh, once, okay, now let's keep reading. Now the, the promises, the covenants and agreements were decreed and made to Abraham and his seed. Notice it's singular. It's important that you know this. His offspring, his heir. He, God, does not say, and to seeds, descendants, or heirs, plural, as if referring to many persons, but, and to your seed, your descendant, your heir, obviously referring to one individual who is none other than Christ the Messiah. You can't be more clear than that. What does this mean for us? It means that while we were still sinners, can you imagine even before we were Christians, this covenant was sealed. That's what the Bible says. While we were sinners, Christ died. Hallelujah. So if the covenant was intact... These promises of redemption from sin, sickness, and poverty were intact, praise God, even before we were born and before we were sinners. Uh, What should it mean for us now that we've accepted it and signed on to it? (laughs) Praise the Lord. And so we have religion holds this fear over our head that someday you're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to do something and you're going to be out with God. And we're just afraid of missing it. Well, how does faith work in that atmosphere? Praise God. So the one condition, the one condition of activating the provisions of the covenant was met by Jesus. Only Jesus was qualified because the promise was to a seed of Abraham. Only Jesus was qualified to secure the other half of the agreement. The lie from Satan. Now, here's here's the thing. The, the lie from Satan is that you lack something. Now, that's what he told Eve in the garden. God said, OK, Adam and Eve, I got you in this cool place and you got everything here you could possibly need or want or desire or think of. And so you're all set, just live and enjoy it. (laughs) And the devil comes along and says, you lack one thing. You don't have this knowledge of the thing, you know, the tree. So they, they, they believe the lie. Oh yeah, I'm lack, oh, I thought we had everything, but now the devil says we lack. That's the foundation of all of Satan's work. The reason that people commit adultery, for example, is because the devil has lied to somebody and said, you're missing out. The reason folks get involved in all kinds of stuff, you're missing out. The reason folks start cheating on money and, and, and doing weird Ponzi schemes or something is because of the thought of, of I got to do a shortcut here, man. I can't wait for success to come in a natural, clean way. I got to do something weird. You know, you're missing out. 
You're never going to have that car, that boat, that home, that vacation place or whatever. You're never going to have what you really want if you do it the right way. So they, they are tempted to do weird things in the name of lack. You lack. And uh, really, it's a slam against God as being our great provider. <laughs> because the devil's accusing him of not taking care of you. And so you start, this is where doubt and unbelief starts. Mistrust. God's not taking care of me. You go to the doctor, you get some crummy diagnosis. The first thought is, God's not looking after me. What's the problem here? And then we add the, well, you open the door to the devil with something, you know, oh, well, now God's holding it against me. I mean, it, it never ends. We never have enough. So now we start seeking. There was this woman at Ramah. My dad was teaching there. And there was this woman at Ramah that came to him. She was, she was, she had cancer. It was a bad case. And she came one day and, you know, everybody's trying to minister to her and, you know, give her the word and pray for her. And she comes up with 52 things that the Lord told her she had to do to get her healing. And each of those things, the, the, the twist here, the, the, the tricky part is that every one of those things were good things in and of themselves. We should have things you, a Christian would do normally anyway. You know, more scripture reading, more prayer, uh, you know, forgiving folks that you held a grudge against, um, uh, apologizing to those that you've done wrong. You know, all kinds of amazing things there. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, all the... 52 she came up with that the Lord told her she had to do every day to get her healing. And my dad looked at her list. She was a student at Ramah. And he said, uh, have a seat. She said, yeah, what do you think about my list? He says, this is a disaster. She said, no. There's prayer on there. There's Bible reading. There's giving. There's, you know, all these great things. Aren't those good things? He said, my dad said, absolutely. Every one of those are good things. But he says, you don't get your healing by doing these things. God already got your healing for you. Don't you know Isaiah 53? He said to her, surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. By his stripes we're healed. Just accept that, sister. Then go on and do your list if you want to out of your heart. But don't do your list to get your healing. Would you do any of this to get saved? See, when you add salvation to it, it should clean up your doctrine. What if we gave an altar call? What if we had an outdoor evangelistic event and we just preached the gospel and tell about God and Jesus, how he came, how he died, what we call the PowerPoints of the gospel. And we give an invitation for those that would like to accept Christ. And we get them all down there and we say, now before you receive salvation, you need to agree to the following 19 things. No, nobody would do that. Not even a half-decent Baptist would do that. <laughs> a half-decent one. Brother Hagen said he had this mentor that was a Baptist evangelist. B.B. Krim was his name. And he said that, that he, 
he'd get up in a First Baptist church. They'd have him booked to preach, you know. He'd get in a First Baptist church and, and he'd, they'd, the choir would sing, bear me away on snow white angels wings, you know. And, uh, B.B. Krim would get up and he said, some of you deacons here singing, bear me away on snow white angels wings. He said, why a half de- decent buzzard wouldn't even have anything to do with you, you know, anyway. I'm sure that got him invited back, you know. <laughs> Pastor probably had to pack and move. <laughs> but anyway, not even a half decent Baptist, praise God, nothing against the Baptist, would would give such a list. Hardly anybody. I'm not even sure the United Pentecostal Church would give you such a list at salvation. Or any group, hardly, would say, well, this is the requirements for salvation. If you understand the gospel at all, the only thing you know is this, the great hymn that they used to sing at the Billy Graham Crusades. Just as I am, without one plea, but this one, thy blood was shed for me. I come on that and accept. And we'll, we'll, we'll throw out the invitation. Jesus will accept you warts and all. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad you are. Doesn't matter how uh, evil you've been. Come to Jesus. That's the altar call. Well, the thing is, is that's the way we continue to come to Jesus. On his shed blood. We don't come on our merits. Well, you know, I'm in the prayer team. You know, I, you know, I was the most faithful one for the 4.30 a.m. prayer time when we did that. I mean, you know, you know, I, I, I was, uh, we were in, um, a certain city and there was this great man that, you know, uh, had, uh, given a lot of money, you know, to different, uh, ministries and he was a great pillar, you know, a help to, to different uh, causes and things, and great Christian, and uh, wonderful man of God, and and a businessman, and he began. He had a, a, a terrible disease, began to die, and uh, of course I wasn't in charge. You, you understand there were there were bigger bigger shots than me in the room, kind of conducting the thing. Well, so the prayer, the prayer, the family began to pray. Well, they, you know, I guess they'd heard somebody, you know, talking about pleading your case, but they were pleading their case before God about this man. And these are, you know, word folks. These are Bible people. And they were saying, now, Lord, look what he's done for the kingdom. Look what a Christian life he's led. Look what, look how he's been faithful. That was what they were praying. And then they thought they were pleading their case. Well, I wanted to interrupt, but I wasn't in charge. You understand what I'm saying? It was bigger shot. There was, there was guys with bigger mailing lists than me in the room, is the point. You kind of measure by it. The pecking order starts there. And, uh, and I, I didn't say anything, but I wanted to. You know, I wanted to say, hold it! We're gonna, what, let's just give him the morphine and send him over because, because we, because this isn't gonna cut it with God. That, what he is and how faithful, it's, it's Paul's Philippian dung list. I don't mean to be unkind, but it's the truth. 
He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was circumcised on the eighth day by the official circumciser. He was, you know, whatever. He, cause the righteousness of the rules of our group, blameless, praise God. And Paul said, I'm going to count all that as dung. If you don't know what that word is, look it up. Not a good word for church. Um, but I'll just tell you about dung. You don't want to get a lot of it on your shoe and in your car. Praise God. I'm just, you know, that's, that's, there's a tip for what it might be. And uh, he says, I, I, ca- I counted all as dung. Uh, Spanish Bible says basura, which is trash. It's all trash. Maybe that's a better word. Spanish are a little more uh, graceful than English, maybe. It said, um, it's trash. I count it as nothing. In other words, I throw it all away. That I may gain the excellency that's in Christ. You know, when we plead our case before God, we don't come on our merits. Like, just as I am without one plea, but this one, thy blood was shed. That's what, that's how I receive everything from God. I receive forgiveness. I receive health. I receive healing. I receive victory. I receive, uh, His hand of supply on what He's done. I'm, that's my testimony the rest of my life. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that He died for me. While I was a sinner, you provided salvation for me. Before I did anything right, I had this as an availability. And I thank you for that. And based on that, I, I take advantage of my covenant of blood. Amen. So it's not a covenant of works. It's not a covenant of merit. It's a covenant of blood. Thank God we don't have to bring our works before the Lord. That poor guy, you know, I just felt bad for him. And they're good people. They meant well. You understand. They're not bad people. But they just sort of missed the point. It's like we should be talking everything about Jesus. What you said. Theology, not anthropology. All right. I'm almost done. I promise. The lie from religion and thus Satan. (laughs) If it's from religion, it's also Satan. Is the same old thing. That is the idea that we lack something. And that we have to constantly figure out where our lack is and try to make up for it somehow. I call it the not enough syndrome. Not enough holiness. Not enough prayer. Not enough giving. Not enough participation. Not enough faith. How much, you know, I always think about that, about how much faith you have. How much faith would you know you have anyway? Is faith something you feel? Did you order a faith-o-meter from Ronco? Plug that in and you go, oh, it's red hot today. Is faith based on your thought life? Well, that that's not good because you could have horrible thoughts right in the middle of believing God. Amen. So not enough faith, not enough dedication, not enough consecration, not enough dying to self, not enough worship, not enough anointing, not enough walking in love, not enough contending for revival, not enough repentance, not enough honoring the fivefold offices. I go ad nauseum. It's never enough. 
No matter what you try and no matter how big your list is and how many uh, items you tick off, there's always more. You just need one more conference to tell you what you need to now do. I call it the not enough conference syndrome. You know, well, now this is the you ever been off to something that? Oh, hallelujah. Woo! That's the key right there. That's the key. And it's like, no, you've had the key all along. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the key. We used to sing an old song, Jesus Holds the Keys. Well, that's quite, you know, that's a, uh, I'm not sure about that. But he, uh, is it really better just to think Jesus is the key? Amen. He holds the keys and he ain't giving them to you either. <laughs> so I'm going to say this. There is nothing we did to make the covenant work because we, we weren't asked. We weren't there. We weren't involved. Our signatures aren't on this. The only way we're in on it is because we're in Christ. (laughs) See, that's why inclusionism and universalism does not work. Because you have to be in Christ to get the benefits of redemption. So you can't just be in the earth and, and, and have it. The only reason we're in covenant is because we're in Christ. The covenant... Is not between us and God. It's between Jesus and God. So you just better get in Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you want the benefits of it. And that's why Paul, Paul, this whole thing is connected, interconnected. That's why Paul said those who are trying to say something else, they're not any longer holding to the head. They, they've lost their head. Okay. Um. So then I said this, let's have faith in the finished work and rest in the provisions of the covenant. There's your healing. There's your answer to your family problems, answer to your marriage problems. Everything is in that. Pastor, I'm finished. I hope you all got something out of that. (laughs) Praise the Lord.